if there's any new dentists listening or dental students, you have no idea how terrible of a clinician you are when you graduate dental school. And it's not because you're bad or you're stupid or you're not trying hard. You just don't have the reps and the hours and the experience in to handle anything coming your way. The future of dentistry belongs to the innovators. Welcome to Innovation in Dentistry. I'm your host, Sean Zayas, and I believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades, but the question isn't that. The question is, are you gonna be part of what makes dentistry great? Okay, so super excited today. I get to be with Dr. Vincent Buscemi, uh, dentist and podcaster. I absolutely love what you're doing. But before I set you up, let me just say thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, so Vance, uh, innovation, it can mean so many different things, right? There's clinical innovation, there's business model innovation, there's, um, there's technological innovation that shapes dentistry. But before any of that happens, there's some mindset or belief set in some crazy person that says, like, why not me? Like, why can't I step up and pioneer positive change? Um, and that's exactly what you've been doing. I am so curious, um, what was even your origin story getting into dentistry? You know, I grew up very, very middle class. And if any of your audience grew up middle class, if you're a business owner or like any form of doctor, you made it. So I'm thinking like, if I can pull both off, I'm like king of the hill. And I really enjoyed my dentist as a kid. For me, family's everything. He had a good family. He didn't have to travel. He owned a business. His patients loved him. And I was like, I could definitely do this job. And that was before I even knew what like science was. I was like in fourth grade. So just seeing his life kind of put me in the direction of this may be a good career to go into. I, I, mean, I think that's amazing. So simply because of the way he modeled being a good person, seeming like he had his life I don't know, in order, right? He cared about his family, he cared about his patients. To you as a fourth grader, you're like, man, that, I don't know, I mean, I mean, you know how formative, uh, I don't know, moments, uh, circumstances, whatever can, can shape us so much, but it's interesting that it was a dentist, right? It wasn't, it wasn't just like the, the firefighter down the street or, or the policeman, it happened to be a dentist. Now, when you were in high school, were, were like, did anything ever shift where you were, I don't know, thinking that that may not be the case and then it had to come back full circle? Or were you just always thinking from then on, I'm a dentist? No, it came back full circle. I mean, in 10th grade, I thought maybe I could go to the professional MBA. That got squashed when I got dropped from varsity. So there was plenty of different alternative career paths in there. None of them panned out. And then I kind of came back to it where it was between medical doctor and dentist towards the end of my undergraduate career. I just saw medicine going in a direction where I was like, that's kind of a beast I don't think I can handle. And I feel like there's more independence and autonomy in the field of dentistry. So it came full circle like 10, 15 years later, and then I went into dentistry. Well, I think you're right about the independence and the autonomy. Um, what shocked you when you first got into dentistry? Like, like from what you kind of had pictured, what you expected, and then all of a sudden 
boom, you get dropped in. Now, are, are you an associate your first few years? Like what, what was that uh, intro journey like into dentistry? Well, my first associateship, I worked for my childhood dentist. No, that's amazing. So here's what shocked me. And if there's any new dentists listening or dental students, you have no idea how terrible of a clinician you are when you graduate dental school. And it's not because you're bad or you're stupid or you're not trying hard. You just don't have the reps and the hours and the experience in to handle anything coming your way. And I'll be fully transparent about this. My first boss, my, my dentist fired me after 18 months Mm. and said, I have the least amount of clinical skills he has ever seen in any dentist that worked in his office. Wow. So, so he's okay. So it's not about the know-how it's about, can I actually physically with my dexterity, like, in a um, surgical way, perform these procedures at a high fidelity. Now, did, did you, were you like a tinkerer? Like as a kid, were you actually very mechanical or mechanically inclined? Never. The only thing that I've always had going for me, I can talk to anyone, anywhere, and connect on anyone on any level. And I wrongly assumed that purely people skills, which are very important, would get me through it. But and although you're not a dentist, you've had probably dental work. Like the work has to be pristine too. And in the beginning it wasn't. And it was like, you can only BS your way out of so much bad work to where patients are getting upset with you too. Okay. So did you see the writing on the wall or did that conversation come as a surprise? Well, he was, I could, he was unhappy. He was very, I guess I'll put it this way. Cause I don't want to speak poorly of him. He was upfront from the beginning where my skills were not where he wanted it to be, but kind of the breaking point came where he actually wanted me to buy his practice. And I knew clinically I wasn't ready. Financially, I wasn't emotionally. I wasn't ready either. And then that's when he fired me. And the reasoning was that I'm not clinically ready. The worst dentist he's seen. And it really wasn't, I said no to buying his practice, but I'm sure it was a combination of both. Where do you go from there? Right. I mean, like you're, uh, 18 months out of dental school, this is your first go at it. And then all of a sudden you hear from someone you respect that you're the worst clinical dentist that they've seen. Like, like, what do you, I mean, you must've felt terrible. Well, this is embarrassing to admit. I think I was 27 or 28. I called my mom. My parents are still alive. I called my mom and I cried. I'm almost 30. And I was like, I think I just went into the wrong career. Like, it's not like I'm a marketing director and so-and-so fires me. I go to another marketing firm. It's like, I trained for one specific job and I was told by somebody who's good at their job, I'm terrible at my job. I can't go back to school. I can't do dental school again. So I went to a job where I don't want to say the stakes are lower, but I went to a job in a lower socioeconomic environment where maybe the patients have less expectations and I just worked in kind of a mill and I built my confidence back up from the ground up there. Now, now did you approach it differently? Like, okay, like I am going to 100% become a great clinical dentist and I'm going to give everything to this. Like I'm no longer going to think that I can get by because I know how to connect. I know how to be relatable. And that is 100% like gold 
confidence that you have that skill. Like that's an amazing skill, but all of a sudden having to face, yeah, but I also need this. This has to be foundational. Um, was, was that like another 18 months of getting your confidence or, or did it come a lot quicker than that? I mean, I'm still getting my confidence and I'm 10 years out of school, but it was like, I got fired from my job. I went home. My wife tells me she's pregnant and I'm like, okay, this is like the real world. Like if I don't get this straight, I got to do something else. I have student debt. My wife's an attorney. She had student debt. We weren't rolling in the cash the late twenties. We were rolling in debt. So I thought to myself, like, you have to get in there and get really good. Cause I've always thought to myself, if other dentists can get good at this, I can too. Like I'm not trying out for the MBA. I'm doing a te technically advanced job that other people have also gotten good at. Yeah. I mean, I mean that that's true. Um, but I know like there's so much about the inner game. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, you're on the playground and you get picked last for, for sports from your peers or whether it's the fifth or sixth girl you go up to and they finally like, like, just leave me alone. You know, that, that sends signals to man, do I have enough? Do I have what it takes to, you know, either be desirable to someone else or to be picked by my peers? And, um, thankfully I, I didn't struggle in, in those areas, but for me, um, it's more like the sales side of things. When I, when it comes to actually like asking for someone to give me payment for my services in, in my business, that's been the biggest holdup in the last 15 years of, of my life. Um, for you though, it's like, yeah, clinical, clinical, um, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't even say excellence, right? I would just say a, a standard of good clinical outcomes is what you're shooting for. And um, I, I think you realize that you couldn't settle with not being good at that. Um, what, what mindset do you feel like you learned in the process of going, I don't know, almost like to, to the ultimate low of being fired to all of a sudden then to a place of, like, did you, how long did you stay in that mill, I guess? About two years. Okay. And then I burnt out because it was, it was a Medicaid uh, location is, all Medicaid and I don't know how many patients you're seeing a day, but you get enough reps in there. And basically you said, how do you work on the internal game? You have to have enough wins in the external world to give your internal world real confidence. Cause I can stand in front of the mirror and say, you're the best dentist in the world, but it really doesn't matter until I have good clinical outcomes. So basically you just have to be resilient enough to take the blows until those little small wins start piling up. And you have to record those wins. Like, okay, I hit every block today. Nobody needed more numbing. Or every crown I seated only needed a couple adjustments. Or every tooth I took out, only three root tips broke. And you have to celebrate the tiniest wins. Not in a way of like, everyone now is all about self-care. That's not what it's about. But it's about just recognizing that there are positives in your life that you're probably passing up on, but you deserve to recognize them. Okay, so was that something that you kind of developed or you think was always there, but you just tapped into it? Always there. Because growing up as a kid, always positive, really never pessimistic. It didn't really start until I became a dentist. And then you're really faced with objective reality. Because when you pull a tooth out, if only half the tooth comes out and half the root tip is in there, objective reality is telling you, you didn't win. So you have to go back in there and get it out, then get that tiny little win right there. 
I think that's always been inside me. Man. Okay. Okay. So two years, you you want out because you're getting burnt out. What, what's your next tr- uh, step? What do you do? Uh, like a very, very lateral move. Go to a corporation. That's a PPO mill. Burn out there. And then I land what I thought was the dream ideal partnership that's going to set me up financially, emotionally for the rest of my life. And I hit the jackpot and it was the complete opposite. So it was working for with a, what a private practice owner. So it was me and two other private practice dentists and we owned one third of the practice each. And then I got to be very vague here. Cause this ended up in a huge lawsuit. Um, they ended up doing things that weren't on par with how I wanted to do it. And I decided to leave the partnership. So this is a good piece of advice for all anyone who goes into business. It doesn't freaking matter what your contract says. What really matters is how much money do you have to enforce what your contract says? Mm. Yes, it's very important to have a good contract. But you got to bring in a boatload of money to put that contract in front of a judge to get what you want. So they owed me a very large sum of money for my buyout. And when I told them they owed me the money, they said, no. So I already have student debt. They owe me close to a million dollars. And then they said they were not going to pay me a dime. And then they kicked me out of the practice. So I have no income. Loans are coming in. Mortgage is coming in. I had to use basically liquidate all of my savings to fight them in a legal battle just to get partial buyout out of the company. Oh my gosh. I mean, (laughs) man, this is crazy. Talk about you. I mean, you can't end up on the other side of this and not end up with resilience. Like I'm sure you had it before, but this is crazy. Like what you've learned um, with experience number one with, you're just not good enough, you know? Uh, experience number two and three, which is I'm in a mill and this is not the patient care I really want to be giving. This is not the environment. This is not really fulfilling for me. And then all of a sudden, this chance for the dream that turns nightmare really, really quick. Um, is everything wrapped up with that now or is this still in process? It's, it's wrapped up now, but it ended three years ago. Wow. And there's a whole story that I can't get into, but yeah, it wrapped up and that was a mess. But later in my life, like worse things have happened and it really puts a perspective on how minimal money is. Yeah. A million dollars is a lot. I don't have a million dollars, but like there's money problems and then there's real problems. And most of my early phase of my career was just simple money problems. But I thought when I, so I ended up losing around two hundred to $250,000, which is a lot of money. And I thought like, oh man, life can't get any lower than this. And I was dead wrong. And it got much worse about a year later. Do you want to go there? I just, I, 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 I kind of just feel like, is it okay to go there? Yeah, I, I've talked about it on my podcast before. So it's out there. Um, and if I tear up, I apologize. No, just be so you. Vince. I, I get a, I get a phone call from my sister and she's crying. She's crying. It's like, Maria, what's wrong? She's like, I have cancer. I'm like, Oh shit. 
Okay. Well, you're young. She said, well, it's stage four. I was like, how the hell do you have stage four cancer? I go, okay, what's the next move? And she's like, there is no next move. It's everywhere. And then I just, my sister's, so, and I think right there, I'm like, oh, my God. If I had 40 billion infinity dollars, I would lose all that to, like, cure the cancer. And it, kind of, it really puts everything in perspective. And you think, like, oh, my God, you have these ups and downs. But, like, there are real downs you can experience. And that's where the resilience comes from. Where, like, all the other stuff is, like, such minor stuff. But that was, like, that was a blow. And that was maybe 18 months ago. But the tears I have right now are actually, Sean, they're tears of joy. Because two months ago, she was cancer-free. And today, she is still cancer-free. So by the grace of God, my sister beat stage four cancer. And all I could think of when she was going through the cancer was, I don't care anything about money. Like, you have five kids. I have four kids. If any of them got cancer or got sick, all that stuff is minor. You get fired from a job. Who cares? You called the worst dentist. I don't care. My kids are alive. So basically what I learned in the like first eight to nine years of my career is the ups and downs don't mean anything. Because what you really have in your life is the important stuff. If it's still in place, that's all that matters. So I've had some downs in my career. And I built a shitload of resilience. But the biggest thing I built was how to develop little bits of gratitude here and there that make everything worthwhile. Uh, what did you say your sister's name was? You say Maria? Maria. I, I mean, some people get to the end of their life, Vince, and they don't ever get to live with that gratitude because they don't realize that lesson until the end. And by then it's like, okay, so now you can just live in the shadow of regret, knowing you missed out on the fact that you could have been enjoying your loved ones the entire time and cherishing them and recognizing that, that that's the plumb line right there. If you climb the mountains that you think are going to bring success, fame, fulfillment, and you get to the top and you look around and nobody's there with you, so what? So what? You're the richest man in the world. So what? Nobody cares. And no, no one's with you. And there's no one that gets to know you and you can't be known deeply. And, and if we're not knowing others and being known deeply, by those that we care most about, like, yeah, what's, what's the point? So the fact that you, I'm sure you knew it. That's why you, you had a family. That's why you have four kids. But for it to come front and center, I feel like that's probably this immovable like foundation that frees you up to just be like, all the rest, it, it really doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You know, you're not, you're not um, like a slave to money because you're free, whether you have a lot or, or not, you just get to now probably move forward according to whatever dreams you have in your heart. That's so true. I've always believed this, that the only thing in life that has intrinsic value is other people and yourself. But like, it's so easy to get blinded when you're trying to climb, although it's on a corporate ladder, the ladder of success. Cause like you said, let's say I finally get to the tip of the mountain and nobody's there. Who cares? Or let's say I make it to 50 and I'm worth $50 million, but then none of my kids want to talk to me. What a waste. 
So going through all that, it's so funny. It like immediately improved my marriage. It immediately improved how mindful I am when I get home. So I'm on my laptop right now doing this podcast. I leave it at work. And when I go home, I only have one option. I go home, I play with my kids, maybe change a few diapers, wipe their butts, and then hang out with my wife. I, don't, I try to bring work home now as little as possible. And even with patients, I draw boundaries. They have my cell phone, but you really can only use it for emergencies. If you need something minor at eight at night, I'm not going to call you back. I'm with my family. And that's the most important thing to me. Okay, so I'm out of the butt wiping stage. My youngest <laughs> is seven. So I just realized, okay, so you're young. You're still in the midst of it, huh? My oldest is six. Dang. Wow. Four beautiful girls, six and under. You're, you're busy. Yeah, the youngest are twins. So it's six, five, my twins are three. <laughs> Vince. <laughs> that's amazing so yeah my oldest is what 14 and again youngest is seven so i had five and six years okay um but right now my youngest is seven we can do like anything in life because like we're not we're not quite in that place where they're as dependent my oldest can babysit um you'll you'll get there man but what a, what a gift that you have for beautiful kids um and and thank you so much even for sharing that story about about your sister and just having the courage to share that, having the courage to share everything you've said so far, um, which is just so, so honest, like so, so vulnerable. Um, is this even, is this your tone the entire time on your podcast where you just kind of sh shoot straight? So I have interviews and I do solo podcasts like once a week and the biggest compliments I get. And when I get these compliments, I'll like read it to my wife. Like I'm reading my report card to my mom. And it's younger dentists or students reaching out saying they feel so connected with how real I am on my podcast. So I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not saying I do full mouth rehabs every day. I'm not producing 50 billion a month. They just say like you're a regular real dentist and makes us feel good. And connecting with other people, Sean, it lights me up. It's what gets me going. Well, I love what you're doing then because I think that's exactly what this this whole context is about like i started a podcast five years ago um or so <laughs> time flies uh called the authentic dentist and i love podcasting and i still do um with my great friend who's a dentist dr allison house like such an inspiration she's probably the reason i'm still in dentistry um because i almost gave up on dentistry a few years back simply because it was hard for me to connect with other dentists a i'm not a dentist uh, and B, it was this whole like, hey, how you doing? And everything was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm crushing it. And I was just like, I, I don't know if you are. But for some reason, there's this like ego. Now, this is a, this was more prevalent 10 years ago, Vince. Um, and it's probably still there to some extent right now. Um, but I love that your voice is coming out and so many of my other friends. And it's just being like, hey, look, we we don't need to pretend like everybody's crushing it. Dentistry sucks sometimes, right? Dentistry is hard. It's messy. And that's also what makes me come alive is just getting to connect with people. Getting, you know, so much of it for me, Vince, comes from just the way I saw my mom and dad care about other people. You know, I, I, I'm sure it's similar with you. Like, you know, it's probably similar to the way you were raised, uh, some of the giftings and talents you have where you are just a people first person that just genuinely cares about people. 
So I, I, I'm on my do not compete. I'm sure their lawyers are still listening to this. So, and I find this practice that's fee for service. And if you're a dentist and you're not fee for service, you hear that phrase, you think like jackpot. I did it. I finally made it in the fee for service. And I buy it from a really nice dentist. He, he was a very good dentist, but he was close to like 75, 80 when he sold it. And what I didn't realize, because I didn't do, do enough due diligence because I wasn't working anywhere. So I kind of had to buy a place fast, which is always stupid. And I didn't realize that all his patients were like close to 100. So by the time I bought the practice, I feel like half the patients died and it wasn't due to any work I did. It was from, all, it was from old age. And another thing about fee-for-service, this is just my opinion or my guess, it's harder to transfer goodwill because it's a less business model than more of like an individual relationship with patients. So a lot of the patients actually left the practice when he sent the letter out that he was leaving. So by the time I get there, there's like seven patients left in this practice. I'm exaggerating, but there's so little patients left in this fee-for-service practice. The I mean, best investment you've ever made, right? And, and what I didn't say, because... I was waiting so long for my ex-partners to pay me back on my first loan. The banks weren't willing to give me a second loan for the second practice. And it was in that period of time where home values skyrocketed. So the value of my house was artificially, I repeat Popped this, up. artificially inflated. So don't tell the banks this. I took out a home equity line of credit. To buy, which the banks told me not to. They go, promise you're not going to buy a business to buy my second practice. So when I buy my second practice, I'm like more than $2 million in debt and there's like seven patients. So I'm like, oh shit, I got to get to work. <laughs> Vince, seriously, this is like crazy that this is your story. Now, this isn't that long ago, right? No, that was probably three, two and a half years ago. Okay, and when do when does something start? When when does the sun come come out and, and and shine on your path? And you're like, oh, this is a great decision. I'm now consistently and profitably growing my practice. Still looking for that. No, um, I would say <laughs> after about like two years, what really starts to take effect is word of mouth, and I had really targeted SEO marketing on biomimetic dentistry. And those two things together, now I'm really starting to see my new patient numbers monthly increase. Okay, so do you like the business side of dentistry um, or is it primarily the people, relationships, and clinical side? If I had to rank all of it, I would say people first, business side second and the actual clinical drill and fill last. Okay. So how is it? Cause it seems like, it seems like you'd be amazing to work for. Um, so not just do you care about people that are patients? I'm sure you like run a rock star team. Has that always been something where you're, I don't know, your, your kind of gift has translated that you're also just great to work for. Yes. And I'm not like coming off arrogant. So no, 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 no. Just own it. <laughs> Uh, all of my employees I have now are from other places I've worked, all unsolicited. But as soon as they found out I set up shop, 
they all came in. So my hygienist, who I've been with now for three years in my location, I've known for a decade. And my assistants, a couple years, I've known for five, six years. So my staff is like my family. Which there's pros and cons of that. But I have been so fortunate to have such golden heart, well-meaning, hardworking girls to work for me. Yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean about the pros and cons. Um, I run my business in a similar way where if you work for me, it just ends up feeling like family. Like we even do some of our family traditions when we celebrate our employees' birthdays. Um, which is that we go around the table and we all say what we like about that person. And it's something that started as a family tradition with my parents. And that's just the way that we sew into our people. Um, and the drawback is, you know, sometimes it's harder to let someone go if, if it's the right time or, or if, if it makes sense because there is such a, such a connection, you know, it, it becomes like almost personal. But to me, the benefit is I have so many people that, that love the vision and they love the fact that we're connected building this thing together. And, and they feel that connection instead of I'm simply an employee. Um, so, yeah, I have people that like pour their heart into it and end up doing doing stuff off the clock simply because they're just trying to help out maybe at night because something happened or the site broke and they stay up extra late trying to help out. Like, I just feel like you get people giving it their best when they're connected to the mission, the vision, the values, the leadership. Um, and that all that all starts from just like, hey, I see you. I acknowledge you as a human and I care about you. And I feel like that's probably exactly the type of leader you are. It is. And my staff always says that they will follow me and walk into the fire right behind me because they don't know where we're going, but they trust that wherever I take them will be safe and profitable and valuable and good for everyone. And to, honestly, to have that type of power or influence or positive influence over people that aren't your kids, it's a really good feeling. So Vince, when the podcast, when, when in this journey were you like, Hey, I should podcast. I started it two and a half years ago. So I had a podcast with my brother-in-laws like three years ago. It was about like video games and comics. It was stupid, but it was so much fun. But yeah. we started, we started having kids. They started having kids. We just couldn't do it. And I, there's something about, and I always talk about this on my podcast. There's something about interviewing and doing a solo podcast that like helps me piece the world together. It's almost like when people meditate or they do something that it like, it almost like reduces my internal stress. Hmm. And I used to only do in-person podcasts. So I'd invite people into my office and we sit down and have a podcast, but that was getting too constraining. So we switched over to online and then I just, it's kind of taken off from there. I mean, seriously, like, congratulations, even just taking that step and recognizing, I think that's part of what I'm seeing in you is that you recognize, um, who you are and the strengths that you have and you play to your strengths, you know, what's going to bring fulfillment and what's going to bring fulfillment for you is authentic connections with other people. Um, so instead of just trying to stay behind the scenes in the closet, just working on your dentistry. I think putting yourself out there in the industry uh, just makes so much sense. And I can see why if I was a dentist, I would love to follow what you're doing simply to just hear someone that's not, I don't know, not, not trying to 
sell the best life now, completely crushing it, fake, you know, I'm the best dentist in the world, but more of like, hey, I'm in the trenches. And chances are you might struggle in some of the same ways that I do. And I think that makes you incredibly influential. Um, and I think you have the heart to wield that power and influence for good. And I just, I love that that's what you're doing. Like, so what is next for Vince? Like, where, where are you going uh, five years, 10 years? Like, if there was a chapter of your book that is yet to be written, what would that chapter be called? Public speaking. So right now, I graduated from University of Michigan, like bottom of my class. But um, some of the students wait, wait, there. Wait, Tom, Tom Brady? Yeah, exactly. Minus the billions of dollars and good hair and everything. Um, so <laughs> one of the students there, she has a really popular podcast. I'm going to say it wrong. Is it the Dental Digest podcast or Download Dental podcast? Her name's Haley Schultz. Anyway, I was on her podcast and we were talking back and forth and I asked her if there's any opportunities for me to speak at University of Michigan to the students. And she's like, yeah. So actually later in September, I'm going to speak to the dental students at University of Michigan. And what I would love to do is kind of take this on the road and speak to younger dentists or students about my initial experience, because not that I'm unique. But I feel like my initial years of dentistry were kind of bumpy. And if I can tell people the story and touch them just a little bit and make their life a little bit easier, that would be like my dream. You know that new song that just came out by, I think it's either Oliver Anthony or Anthony Oliver, Rich Men North of Richmond? No. Okay, it's this country singer and he talks about how the government's bringing us down. It's so hard to achieve in America. Tax is too high. But like both sides of the aisle love that song because it's about how hard life is now. And just, everyone just wants to be heard. So if I can like tell people my story and they feel heard, that would be the next chapter of my book. Okay. So are you familiar um, with Voices of Dentistry? Is that Elijah Desmond's festival? No, no, no that's Smiles to See. Voices okay. of Dentistry. I don't know if it's still happening, actually. I think they might have stopped, but hopefully not. Uh, it's It was a podcaster's event every January where you actually bring your gear and you podcast live with other podcasters. Um, so that, that kind of just helps as far as like bringing the show on the road. Um, the Dental Speaker Institute, Vanessa Emerson, she helps anyone that really wants to get involved more with speaking in dentistry. Um, there's SCN, which is Speakers and Consultant Network. Network. Um, Ryan Vett, that also helps for those that want to be more involved with speaking in dentistry. Um, it's clear you have a message and it's clear that young emerging dentists need to hear the voice that you have, um, simply because it's like, I feel like you, you've, you've walked a certain path and it just makes so much more sense if like the value in that path is that other people don't have to make the same mistakes, or maybe they could just learn a little bit quicker and, I think the person that learns the most, the quickest wins. And I'm just so proud of you for just being out there and not being afraid of failure. Like the whole reason why I have this podcast, Vince, is so that my listeners that might be on the sidelines somewhere in their life, maybe they're a dentist, but they know there's more, like they know they have another dream. And between the lines of what me and you are saying, they, they, they're wondering like, okay, well, 
is now the time because maybe they've been waiting for the perfect time or maybe they've been waiting for when they're they're ready or when their preparation is i don't know what magical thing they're waiting for and my whole thing is like hey just start now like take a step out now because failure isn't truly a failure unless you give up if you keep moving and you keep going like no one that i've interviewed has ever said i knew exactly that i was going to get here today they all said i just knew enough to take a step and i trusted that and i never thought it would take me to where i've gone and i love it like that that's the cool thing is just trusting and just kind of having the courage to take the step from what clarity you have in front of you right now i think you are going to rock it speaking i mean already your podcast is amazing uh, i love the way you communicate um for me it's not that i'm italian i wish i was uh my mom <laughs> never, was, never too late <laughs> <laughs> my mom was 100 percent uh hispanic so for me it's probably more the hispanic side my dad is some mix of anglo saxon european something um but yeah the italian part of you comes out and it's just a gift uh it's a gift to behold okay so tell me main main mindset over the last decade that you had to shed in order to get to where you're at today the main mindset i had to shed has to be it has to be perfect the first time or it even has to be perfect the hundredth time like you said, what's preventing people from doing it? Like you got to know you're going to suck in the beginning, but your solace is if you're in the game, you're winning. If you get out of the game, you lose. And there's so many people, you hear this all the time. So many people in the stands criticizing you, but they're in the stands for a reason. They're not in the game. If you're in the game, you're getting dirty. Even if you're first a thousand suck, if you're still alive, that's the best way. If you're still alive, you, you can still have a chance to win. So basically the one I have to shed is you're not going to be perfect for a very long time and that's okay. Maybe you'll never get there, but just keep trying. I seriously feel like you have such a high level elite mindset and it's amazing. I feel like some, some of the world's greatest, it took decades to arrive at that place of not, not being afraid of overcoming, um, perfectionism. Uh, rejection and just being willing to make bold moves and you've made some bold moves vince like some bold moves um i don't know i just you have such an inspiring story um okay so right now if someone wants to connect to what it is that you're doing and be part of your tribe where do you want their eyeballs to go my instagram is at vince dds or check out the podcast, the Vincent Buscemi podcast, the survival guide for dentists. It's on everything, Spotify, YouTube, Apple, Google Play. So when are you coming out with that book? I feel like there's a book in you. I mean, it couldn't even just be your story of like, yeah, from, so, from like getting fired to getting sued. I guess you didn't get sued. You sued them, right? Correct. But even suing them, it felt like I was being sued. I lost so much money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, from lawsuit to getting fired, you know, I, I'm just, what a story arc that you've had. And yet you have this smile on your face of like, I don't know, it, it, everyone has a choice. You know, you can get bitter or you can get better. And I feel like that's, you just chose to get better every time. Thank you. And you said before, the reason why people might be attracted to me is because I don't act like I'm living the perfect life. But the reason why I am smiling, 
because I am living the perfect life. After this podcast, I'm going to go home, kiss my wife, kiss my girls, probably have a steak. That's the perfect life. So I am killing it. I am. And that's why I'm smiling because, like, today's perfect. I get to talk to you. This has been such an awesome podcast. So I'm living the perfect life. And anyone out there that's still alive and still doing it, you're also living the perfect life. So we should all be smiling. Okay. So I, I just have to be honest right there. Like that convicts me so much because for so long, Vince, I'm like, okay, God gave me this amazing wife, this amazing family, but I need to get to some destination where I can be crushing it so I can take care of them the right way. And I keep putting that off into this, um, this distance of like when, when I'm finally, like, I don't know <laughs> what, what, do, what do I have to be making in order to feel like I've arrived so that I can finally just take care of them well, instead of just giving them the best I can now and appreciating them. And like every moment, like I have a 14 year old, <laughs> do you know how crazy that dude time flies? What do they say? The days are long, but the years fly by. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that's true. Like it is exhausting. Some days are, it seems like they never end, but all of a sudden you blink an eye and you're like, Oh my gosh. Like, cause your oldest is six right now. Yeah. Yeah. Before you know it, she's going to be 16. And I, I, oh my God, I'm just so in awe of the fact that you've just distilled, you have such a grounding in you to know, Hey, this is what matters most. I am ridiculously successful. I have arrived. I have everything that I need. And then everything else along the way, is just going to be, going to be a joy. It's extra, you know, it goes on top. Um, I completely received that. So like getting to interview you has just been a gift to me because I feel like it, helps everything I feel like I should be doing or I should know, but sometimes I just let, I don't know. I, I don't hold on to it as, as much. Um, man, like, like, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. So do you know what the last question is? No, I do not. Okay. So Vince, you're walking down the street and off in the distance, you see 18 year old Vince and you know, you just have one, moment to communicate a sentiment to him what do you share Ooh. damn that's such a good question it would be slow down just slow down because 18 year old vince his only concern was i need to be a millionaire by 30 and like what a wrong way to direct yourself so if I saw him, I'd say, listen, man, you're going to have some ups and downs. But in the end, you're going to win. So slow down, kiss your family. It'll be okay. Dude, you are a baller. You're a boss. You're a rock star. Like, it has been so easy to honor you as an innovator, as a pioneer. Vince, I love what you're doing. Um, it's because you, you have this heart that's just, it's true. It's real. Uh, and when you break it open and live from that place, it, it moves people. Um, and you let people know that, that they matter. So like, seriously, thank you for having the courage to be you. And thank you for using just those gifts that you've been given to just make dentistry better. I I'm such a fan of you, man. I am in your corner. 100%. Uh, thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Thank you so much. I had a good time. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening, and be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.